Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, and welcome. This is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father John and my good friend Joe Doman here. And um, our friend Father Greg Peterson. Father Greg is a classmate of mine, and today is the two-year anniversary of our diaconate ordination. That's right. Wow. Crazy, huh? Mm -hmm. Two years ago, Mm -hmm. Feast of St. Dennis and Companions, Mm -hmm. we were uh, walked into the cathedral and promised celibacy for life. That's right. And here we are two two years later. Still celibate. Still Still celibate. (laughs) And hopefully two more years before we die from the burdens of the ministry. That's right. We also promise to pray the Liturgy of the Hours faithfully every day. We do. Yes. (laughs) Very good. Father Greg and I uh, are not morning people. No. And uh, but we live uh, amidst the brothers uh, who are morning people, and so when they were all up at four thirty, you know, so singing their we. hallelujahs, we woke up uh, very bitterly. But we did get ourselves to holy hour at quarter to six. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, here we are. It's about seven o'clock in the morning, and um, we got a very interesting topic today. But before we get to that, uh, I want to just uh, have Gr- uh, Father Greg kind of give uh, a quick story of how he, how he ended up a priest. You know, you meet these priests, and you realize like. Oh, they've just always been priests, and they've always wanted to be. But uh, this guy at one point had hair down to your... <laughs> past my shoulders. Past your that. shoulders. Okay, in his thrash metal band. So, mm-hmm. Father Greg, maybe a, a quick uh, story on, on who you are and how you came across DJ Muss as well. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, let's see. I was raised in Colorado Springs. I was a part of a non-practicing Methodist family, I would say. I went to Christmas and Easter um, services, the things like that. Although I got involved in a youth group because that's where all my bandmates for my heavy metal band, um, uh, that's where we all got together. So I did music. Electric guitar was my primary sport all through uh, <laughs> high school and junior high. And um, I like to think I was varsity, but who knows? <laughs> and uh, anyway, and the, the name of the band was the the Rubber Jugs. The rubber Jugs, right? Yeah, and you know what? We haven't we have a CD, but we never put it on iTunes. I guess we should do that. Oh yeah, you for all the should. Rubber Jug fans. So, and one of our big claim to fames was that uh, one of our bandmates he found one of our T-shirts in a Goodwill one time. Oh so we yeah, thought, you know we you really made it, made it <laughs> when when you find your shirts at We've Goodwill. Arrived, so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so then I went away to college and, uh, it's funny because uh, today's topic, I was just telling Father John, uh, my first year of, uh, uh, college, I went to university in Northern Colorado and Greeley and I was in this thing called a cluster. And that was where they said people who have, you know, similar interests will just put them all in the same classes, um, together. And so I was in the, I was doing psychology. So I was in this one called like men and women in society or something like that. So I had all these classes. So, but anyway, but I was the only male, in the- uh, in this whole group of 25 other students. So they were all, all, uh, women. And, um, and it's very interesting. Maybe, uh, some of the types of professors that we had, um, may be interested in this type of topic that we're, we're talking about today. But, um, Anyway, so, um, but towards the end of my college career, I had been living, uh, with a roommate, Crazy Pete, also known as Big Hair Pete, and, um, he was a non-practicing Catholic, and then we were living with another friend of mine who was one of the singers in my heavy metal band in high school, and he was a non-practicing Methodist, and, uh, and you know, uh, Aaron had this big conversion experience, and he became a really strong, um, um, evangelical Christian, Crazy Pete had a big conversion experience, and he started becoming a really faithful Catholic. And then they both started bringing me to their Bible studies, and um, 
there was a Catholic Bible study that was brand new in the air. It's called Focus. And I believe it was the second or third Focus Bible study ever in the world. And you're, you're um, ancient. In the ancient of days, yes, in the back in the 1900s, <laughs> in 1999. And, um, and so I was there, and I, uh, I just had a huge conversion in the um, uh, Catholic Bible study. In fact, uh, I remember it was Monday night, October, uh, February 22nd, just had a huge, huge personal revelation of Christ. It was, it was amazing. Changed my life uh, 100% in that moment. And, um, but I didn't want to be Catholic, so I still had to study Catholicism for a couple more years. I went down to, um, uh, I was actually down at New Life Church, a big mega parish in Colorado Springs in its heyday, was down there, and um, but one of their preachers uh preached one time about well he just gave this great homily um for like an hour and a half which was short for us back then we loved that you know it's like like, why why would you preach for less than an hour and a half i don't know i mean what's what's the point of even coming to church but uh but it was great and he talked about idols and um and i just felt like the lord was saying i need to give up my idol of of uh some of the things about evangelical culture that i loved so much um but he said cuz there's something more and so i started uh so and that was right before lent so i gave up protestantism for lent that's hilarious which was a kind of a weird thing and i went up for an altar call and was like lord please don't let anyone ask me uh why what i'm giving up and nobody did so uh so then i just started studying catholicism more and more and more and uh, after about 2 years became catholic and uh and then uh, I was also getting my master's in marriage and family therapy in, Col- in California at the largest evangelical seminary in the country. And I uh, just pretty quickly after being confirmed and receiving the Eucharist, I um, uh, uh, just started feeling these small inklings towards priesthood, like, wow, it'd be great to preach on that that reading or I wonder what it's like to your confessions. Or So little by little by little, and I got a spiritual director and he said, well, just do things that maybe a priest would do, like lead some Bible studies or teach the faith or something like that. And that's when I came most alive. And I said, wow, this is greater even than this other career path that I was doing. So then moved to Denver and... Um, and um, worked in a church for a year, entered seminary. And we started the same year. We did seven and years. That's right. And every single class, I think, except oh, for maybe one or two that and, I got out of. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are in the cave. <laughs> and that's right. In Joe Doman's room. Now, um, I think we, uh, first off, thanks, Greg, for uh, sharing that. But we, we need to put out a disclaimer. This actually is Father Greg Peterson. Yeah, true. <laughs> Unlike Father Brian Larkin. Oh, that's right. From several weeks ago. <laughs> who was This is not Nathan Goebel imitating another priest. Now, this is, in fact, this is a real story from a real person, uh, which unfortunately has nothing to do with the topic. So you're waiting for us to say, right. you know, this is a confession of an ex-feminist and now he's a priest or something like that. But yeah. that's really not the uh, case. Although, well, that actually could be the case. But, okay. but uh, yeah, because I was... Uh, I like to refer to myself, although I know we shouldn't be political, but uh, I was basically raised and formed in my high school days. I called myself an MTV Democrat. Uh, so just anything that MTV promoted, I was like, that's the truth. That's right. the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life, and that's how I live my life. So it was, Which is back in the day when MTV was actually music. That's videos. right. They would play music, too. <laughs> and um, so, uh, so, that, so actually, I could be, uh, I could say that, yeah. but... Um, but yeah, I've kind of forgotten about those days good, because because now experiencing the authentic um, teachings of uh, uh, of Christ and the beauty of of woman, as opposed to the the more secular versions that are are actually so um, degrading so often. So uh, anyway, but I'm sure you're going to talk about that. I am, and uh, and I did talk about the influence of the media in our understanding of how men and women relate. But 
I do have some people from my parish who listen, very few who listen to this podcast, but I'm going to apologize in advance because you basically heard this homily on Sunday uh, that we're now going to talk about. But um, I wanted to take on feminism and uh, its involvement, uh, specifically tying it into abortion and some different things, which is a little dicey up in uh, Boulder, Colorado. That gets the blood going. Mm -hmm. I averaged one angry woman per mass, which I was like, hey, you know what? That's good. There's a lot of happy women coming out, Mm -hmm. but one really angry one. And uh, I'll tell you a story from Saturday. She comes out after my mass, and I just give this homily on feminism. This is two days ago. And uh, and she goes, I'll believe the Catholic Church uh, is into feminism when, or into women's rights when I can become a priest. And I looked at her, and I just said, lady, you don't want to be a priest. I said, I get called a pedophile all the time. And she goes, oh, and she gives me a hug. <laughs> she just melted right there on the spot. And I was like, whoa, that actually worked. That was funny. <laughs> and so... The reason I preached on uh, feminism uh, was because of a, a strange encounter that I had with a feminist professor at the university uh, on Friday. So it was kind of an eventful week. Really? Is this the philosopher? Yes. Doc, so years ago, back in 2003, before I met Father Greg, he was probably an RCA. I don't know what he was doing. What were you, 2003? You were probably 54. All <laughs> right. So. Yeah, I just retired. <laughs> and, uh, no, I just got my master's of marriage and family therapy and was Catholic and working at a parish. That's right. So that was about the year before we started seminary together. I was at the college seminary, mm-hmm. and I was reading uh, different feminist philosophers in a Catholic class called Women and Man. Very, very good class, but we read all kinds of feminist philosophy. And one of the ones who I found um, to be more just profound, though her principles and conclusions I radically disagreed with, but a very, very intense and, and logical thinker was a woman named Dr. Alison Jagger. Jagger. And um, I find out that uh, when I arrive as the chaplain of the University of Colorado, but the guess who's on the faculty? Hey. Dr. Alison Jagger. Now, this is a woman who doesn't let men speak at her conferences. So I thought, mm. an email invite for a coffee date with a priest, she's probably <laughs> not going to go for. So I, a year ago, I said, all right, Lord, this is in your hands. If you want me to meet Dr. Alison Jagger, you set this thing up. All right. Friday, he wanted me to meet Dr. Allison Jagger. Really? What happened? This is what happened. I'm walking across Norland Quad through the university back from the gym. And this doesn't happen a lot. Now, Greg used to be evangelical, so or Father Greg. So this is more common for him. But this is not the, the you know, the German Catholic kid who grew up. This is not my my kind of typical story. But this is very real. I see this woman coming towards me. And the Holy Spirit says, that's Dr. Allison Jagger. That's one of the most radical feminists in the world. You need to introduce yourself. Tell her you're a priest and that you read her writing. And this voice is very clear. And I get closer and closer. And I just walk right past her. I was like, no way. And so I freak out and just don't say anything. And I walk right past her. Were you in your clerks? I was not. I was coming back from the gym. Four o'clock in the afternoon. But I've never seen Allison Jagger before. I have no idea what she looks like. So it's just some random woman. That's why I was like, what? This is crazy. So I really am psychotic, you know, something like that. Four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm sitting there having a cup of coffee, Cafe Aon, with my brother. Stand up, turn to my left. Who's there? Same woman. Same voice. That's Dr. Allison Jagger. You need to tell her you're a Catholic priest. And this time I'm in my collar and uh, tell you read her stuff. And so I turn to her and I'm like, I'm sorry, lady, this is a weird question, but are you by any chance Dr. Allison Jagger? And she goes, oh, how did you know? She's British. <laughs> and I said, um, We'll just call it a hunch, something like that. And so I ended up having this conversation about feminism with her, and she was just completely shocked that a priest was reading, had read her work, and that was able to engage her. And all these names were coming back from 2003 that I had been reading. It was crazy. It was an it was an amazing conversation. So I don't know what will come of it, but God wanted me to meet Dr. Allison Jagger. Mm-hmm. That is wild. And I think one of the reasons he wanted me to meet her was because he wanted me to preach about it on Sunday. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm going to convert this woman, but it got me thinking about the old feminism that I used to study and then, and then gave me kind of a little bit uh, to preach on. So what I want to do today is I want to lay out kind of what I think is an authentic Catholic feminism. I think it's possible to be a feminist as a Catholic. And I think in some ways you have to be, if we have the right understanding of what it means to be a feminist. But before we do that, let's get a little lay of the land. Uh, what does the landscape of feminism look like, right? On your left, you have one school. It's called liberal feminism. Why are you pointing to Father Greg? Yeah. He's a liberal feminist. <laughs> MTV, liberal feminist. On your right, I'm pointing to you. Joe. Radical feminist, right? <laughs> like Dr. Jagger. You've got moves like Jagger. Jagger. Okay, so uh, these two camps, these two extremes, uh, we'll start with the first one. Liberal feminism. Uh, liberal feminism focuses on the equality of men and women, the sameness. So there's no distinction whatsoever. So these things we call gender, these things we call sex, they're all constructs of the culture of the society that we live in. There's just absolute equality between men and women. They are literally no different. There's nothing different between the two of them. Liberal feminism. Hmm. Opposite extreme. Radical feminism. There's no equality. They're completely different. And it's a power struggle. Uh. And Dr. Jagger is a proponent of what's called Marxist radical feminism, which takes the Marxist critique of class struggle and applies it to the sexes. It's crazy. Okay, so this is like, basically, there is no um, equality. It's all power, and we need to take the power from men. Wow. Like and men are right to take the power, try and take the power from women, because it's just all about power. It's this power struggle. Mm. So you can see the two. One is complete equality and sameness. One is complete distinction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where's the Catholic ought to land if it's possibly a Catholic feminist? In right smack in the middle. The Catholic both and. Complementarity feminism is something that Sister Prudence Allen, our professor, mm -hmm. coined working out of the feminism of John Paul II. And um, that strikes the middle, that somehow we have to hold together the equality of men and women with the absolute distinction. And in that, we're going to find the authentic way that men and women ought to relate. Interesting, huh? Right, yeah. Now, what's the main thing? And this is this is where the preaching got kind of intense on Sunday. But what's the... So, okay, Catholics can be feminists. We like that complementarity feminism. That's real cute. That sounds great. But what's the real thing keeping us from um, authentically understanding the feminine as Catholics? Most people. Well, I said the argument is that we don't root our feminism in nature, and we don't understand that the church's moral teachings is rooted in nature. If we understood that, we'd see that they were go hand in hand, the church's feminism and the church's morality. Instead, what the world says is the church's moral teachings are set up to oppress women and to keep them from freedom, mm. right? Church is teaching on every moral issue that we hate to talk about, abortion, contraception, indissolubility of marriage, male hierarchy, all these different things. Mm -hmm. They're all about keeping women down and keeping them in their place. Right, which right? plays right into Jagger's critique. I guess. Exactly, exactly. You can see how the church then becomes an instrument of uh, this power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're trying to um, kind of reveal all these things. And what I argued was, you know what, when you really look at these moral teachings, you realize they're at the service of protecting women. And I said, let me just take one of these examples, abortion. And I said, if you saw a perspective of someone who does grief counseling for women who have, have been victims of the abortion industry, you would realize that the church's pro-life stance is absolutely at the protection of women and not at the violation of their freedom or of their dignity. But it's at the service of loving them and protecting them in the world. Crazy. Crazy. And all of the moral teachings are like that. So the first thing we have to realize about an authentically Catholic feminism is that the morality of the church is at the service of the dignifying and protecting the feminine. And in fact, the church is at the service of protecting the feminine. 
and this is where we go from the philosophical into the theological. You ready for this? Let's do it. Okay. So, as creation, all things that are have the posture of the feminine, if we understand femininity to be receptivity. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's key. So, we got one of the big things is like, if we're going to be Catholics and talk about feminism, what does it mean to be, what is femininity? What is, what is femininity? It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean gentleness. It doesn't mean compassion. It doesn't even mean motherhood necessarily. It means receptivity. And that's key because so much of the, like the liberal feminism, they're going to say, well, men, some men are more motherly. Some men are more compassionate than women. You know, it's not just a, a feminine thing, mm-hmm. but we're saying, no, it's receptivity. It's written into their very body. You, you were leaning in. Did you want to say something? Um, no, I just thought I'd get closer to the mic in case I wanted to say Okay, something. very good. I wasn't sure if I was just talking too much. This is so nice to be talking to you two. When I talk to Goebel, he's just, he'd be asleep in the corner. Goes, yeah, I'm just thinking about what you're saying. Uh, that's kind of... Precisely. Precise, exactly, exactly. That's always our line. Let's take a slug of cold coffee here. Okay, so if the posture of all things that are created is feminine then it would be fitting that the church, the instrument by which God reconciles all of creation to the Father, would have to be feminine, right? It's the response, the reception of the word, and then the response. And the church is all of creation. The church is most completely embodied in the person of Mary, the perfect receptive moment. The most feminine moment in all of history is the fiat of Our Lady. Mm -hmm. Be it done according to thy word, where she receives the Trinity and allows God's full disclosure to take place in the world and allow it to be reconciled. That's the mo- that's that's feminism right there, the fiat of our lady. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful to think about. So why is the church uh not only trying to not oppress women but actually defend and protect the feminine in a world where it's being stripped very quickly because all of creation, the whole feminine is the posture by which all of us have to have to God. And as men it's much more difficult to do that. We're too busy doing awesome things for Jesus, frankly. Doing stuff. Doing mm-hmm. stuff. Act- We're just busy. Activism. Activism. Doing Activism. great things with little love. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then you have someone like St. Therese, the greatest saint of the modern times, who just, you know, little lives things to like be. Great love. Yep. We have, a, we have a nickname love. for one of, my, one of my buddies in seminary, Josh Mary, is a big fan of St. Therese. But we always joke about him. You know, St. Therese's whole thing was doing small things with great love. We always say Josh wants to do great things with little love. With little love. We call him the big flower. The big flower. <laughs> You're so big, everyone notices everything you do. It's true, though. And uh, and it, I just wish that, that people understood that, that the, the church is not the hierarchy. The church is not this masculine, sacramental machine. It's about radical surrender, the feminine receptivity of the Trinity, who is disclosing himself and who is working in our lives and the this freedom that comes This is so powerful that Greg's dropping to his knees. Father <laughs> <laughs> Greg is now praying. <laughs> now we've given him the most awkward position ever. I'm just happy he hasn't left yet. Well, I know. Well, we're just trying to share this mic over here. Yeah. That's right. Just getting comfortable. So <laughs> Now another, another um, one of the, you know, one of these one women after each mass. Another one is really pissed off because of the. the we, way- don't, we don't say that word. That's offensive Sorry. to the Australian <laughs> listeners. We apologize. We will edit that out. We In Australia, have- that means you've had too much to drink if you're pissed. Shh. Oh, there we go again. Sorry. All right. So, what this, did you put this in lady this coffee? Was, uh, this lady was upset with oh, you after really? mass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she was. Upset I thought you. the Australian was upset. She was upset because of the way the nuns were treated by the Vatican. You know, oh, the big bad Vatican. Boy. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so when I was talking to her, I was just, and of course she was pissed. So well, sorry. She was angry. <laughs> so <laughs> She was had too much to drink. Listen, man, we're lucky there's not profanity. <laughs> this is, uh, um, but uh, she, uh, 
she was just really upset. So the conversation wasn't that impressive. Uh, like it was the night before where I melted her with my comment. And, uh, but basically it's like so much of the problems, the tension between the church hierarchy and the religious of the last 40 years is because they have, they have assumed into their orders, into their life, they've imbibed a false feminism, a liberal feminism or radical feminism. Mm. And, um, all the language and all the arguments about uh, married priests and different things, all of these are, or not married priests, of women priests and, and women in the church and women's leadership in these things. So oftentimes they're not rooted in authentic feminism because they don't, there's not an understanding of what the church is. And there's not a realization that this whole priesthood thing is actually the service of the feminine so that making souls become more Marian. That's why we offer the Eucharist. So what is the role of women in the church? What is the role? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, we often speak of it in terms of women's leadership yeah. in the church, which is a secular term. There is no leadership in the church, right? Christ is the head of the church. It's all headship in him. Everything is focused in him. There's no leadership. Leadership implies a, a democratic, kind of socially constructed institution that we kind of you know determine who the leaders are. So the, even the language of leadership is different. The language of vocation is the recognition that anything that we're entering into in the church is entering into Christ, into mm-hmm. his headship. And if the way by which Jesus desires to continue to give himself to the world, that initial that initiating gift is through the Eucharist and through his then he needs the priesthood to be the service of that. But the priesthood would have to be masculine if it's going to be God's continual initiation of the gift of himself into history. While the church herself, in its essence, is feminine. So what's the role of women in the church? To be saints and to show men, stupid men like us, that the way you posture yourself towards the living God in intimacy is through the feminine, through receptivity. Hmm. And to be witnesses and to live that out through their vocation. And sometimes that means vocation in the world. Sometimes that means consecrated vocation uh, in the world or in religious life. It, It depends. But it's not to take on some power role and to try and understand it in terms of leadership right does that make sense no it doesn't make sense it's interesting because uh like every because the whole church needs to be receptive and there's a feminine element to the whole church like men have just kind of it's kind of a strange role but like we are kind of in a feminine posture to the divine but it Mm -hmm. makes sense john of the cross one of the doctors of the church great spiritual father uh would always talk about his soul and the feminine, I think, for this reason, you know. And he wrote this beautiful love poetry between, uh, uh, you know, talking about the relationship between uh, Christ the bridegroom and his own soul, right. you know. And it was so romantic. But even even that points to the fact that, that we all kind of have to take on some sort of feminine uh, um, relationship or dynamism in our relationship to, the, to God uh, and how women can kind of model that. And it kind of bleeds both ways, too. Like, as far as, like, I mean, you said there's no real leadership in the church, but I mean... On a, at least, as so far as the church is a human reality, there is leadership. But even uh, the women who have been great leaders in our church's history embodied that kind of Marian receptivity the greatest, and because of that, had a great strength with which to talk to the rest of the church. You know, people like Saint Catherine of Siena, right, right. who was an incredible mystic. Right. You know, Saint Teresa of Avila, mm-hmm. who reformed her sisters and also helped to reform with John of the Cross, the male Carmelites. And Mother Teresa is a great exactly. example. I mean, That's just I just incredibly humble poor, tiny, ugly little woman who could, like, speak powerfully to mm-hmm. our society, Catholic and non-Catholic, Christian, non-Christian. I mean, uh, but she wasn't about grasping for power or, like, hey, I need to have more leadership, you know, as a woman. She was just about 
I'm trying to be a Christian. Uh, and, and there's something in all of those women that says receptivity is not passivity, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean just, you know. Active receptivity. Yeah, but and it's, that's a term it's profoundly, used. Yeah, profoundly active in the sense that it's it requires. I always, I always talk about people like when someone throws a football at you, you know, if you're passive, it's just going to hit you in the face or something. But to, to catch a football, to be receptive to it demands a real focus and a real kind of, you know what I mean, active mm-hmm. engagement of the... And that's what it means to receive God's will for your life. Mm-hmm. And we all have to have that. But women have that kind of written into their bodies and into their very selves in a way that we don't and that we need to always kind of be watching and learning from them. Mm-hmm. I was uh, preaching just, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, this whole misunderstanding of the feminine and especially the feminine uh, nature of the church, in a sense, you know, we refer to the church, Holy Mother Church mm-hmm. as feminine, but uh, is in a sense behind this whole, you know, there's been a lot of uh, fiasco stuff in the news about, did Jesus have a wife? Uh, did Jesus have a wife? And you even find <laughs> well-meaning Catholics saying, well, you know, it doesn't really matter, and maybe he did, and if he did, well, that just means he's normal and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but where that's coming from is is a complete misunderstanding that if if Jesus had a wife, then the entire church is not his bride. But indeed, the church is some sort of adulterous girlfriend on the side if he already had a wife. So he is his one spouse is the church. And um, it's from his side, uh, just as Adam, you know, taken from his side, the biblical language is taken from his side, is, is where this first woman comes from, Eve, his bride. So Christ, when he's on the cross, and his side is pierced out, flows blood and water, um, that this new bride is his, that he's giving himself completely to, and especially in a one flesh union of the Holy Eucharist. It's a non-sexual one flesh union, but it's a full one flesh union. And so it's even again, if if we could say, wow, all persons in the church are bride, um, that then it makes sense of saying, wow, that it couldn't have been that Christ had um, a natural wife. Even as good as natural marriage is, he had a different vocation to give himself completely in a nuptial way, not to just one person, um, but indeed to all of humanity. And it, that's just another part of it is that People don't realize the power of of the feminine and this receptivity that all of us are called to, and the significance of the, this that this the spouse of Christ being the church is the way that He espouses Himself to every soul instead mm-hmm. of just that particular one. I think that's that's right on. Yeah. So, great job, man. Well, we'll see you guys next week. And see any more week. thoughts, suggestions, insults, comments, whatever, we will take them. Catholic stuff podcast at gmail dot com. 